Hey, what's up, Blazer fans? Welcome to the Blazer's Edge podcast. I am Tara Bowen Biggs, and the part of Danny Meringue will be played by special guest Dave Decker today, the managing editor of Blazer's Edge. Dave, welcome to the program. I have to be Dan now? Well, you're going to play the Trade CJ McCollum. <laughs> Half an hour later, I'm done with my point. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Dan is I, always I love you, just... Dan straight to the point. Never. I used to do this with Dan all the time. I love him. <laughs> Nevertheless, the characterization is not misplaced. Well, Even he would admit that. Yeah, there's there's a reason people get certain reputations, I guess. But yeah, <laughs> uh, no Dan tonight. And I don't know how many people know this, but today is Veterans Day and Dan is a veteran. So the next time you see him, uh, please thank him th for his service because um, you know, we got to take a minute to do that and we should, you know, it's one day a year is set aside, which is probably not enough, but that's the least that we can do. So think about him and all the veterans that you know, and we will carry on without him this week. Dave, I have not had a chance to talk to you at all since this trailblazer season started. So I am super curious to find out what you were thinking. So I think I'll just start off by asking overall, uh, right now, the Blazers are four and six after they just finally won their first home game. So, what have your what have been your impressions of the team this season? In overtime versus the Hawks, that's where we are. We're talking about woo! Thank goodness we beat the Hawks at home in overtime or zero wins. Uh, I think everybody expected a little bit of a rocky start, probably adjusting. Uh, injuries have also obviously played a huge part, so we haven't really seen this full lineup yet, nor will we this season. Uh, and part of the problem, of course, with that is most people are on short-term contracts. So you're, you're not going to see this incarnation of the Trailblazers take off fully. The rocket kind of stalled on the launching pad. But even before that happened, the Blazers had a, a couple issues I think the biggest one is defense. Now, percentage-wise, they actually look okay. But Hassan Whiteside, for all he brings, and he often brings a lot, uh, creates a conundrum. Even before Collins was injured, the Blazers had to make a choice. They could have Whiteside in the game, and then they could not defend the three-point arc. Or they could take Whiteside out and get more mobile players in, but then they could not defend the interior. And they never really solved that problem. And, of course, Zach Collins going down changed the issue to, well, we can have Whiteside in and not defend the three-point arc, or we can take Whiteside out and not defend at all, which is not ideal. Again, percentage-wise, they look okay. Do you mean by, they, that, by that, do you mean defensive rating? When you say well, there's wise? that, but there's field goal percentage allowed, three-point percentage allowed. Okay. On paper, they look good. In practice, it's not really working. First of all, they're scoring 114.1, I think, and they're giving up 114.6. So they're, they're giving away as much as they get. They are 29th or 30th in the league in terms of fouls given up. Uh, so that's a big hole there, one that we thought might happen and it's come to fruition. And really that and some periodic rebounding troubles have been enough to take what is actually a pretty potent offense 
and render it kind of moot. They are struggling to get to 500, even with Damian Lillard playing out of his mind, even with more firepower. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is not the start they wanted. And the signs, even with the injuries, there are signs that systemically this team might not actually work the way it was drawn up on paper. So let's start with some of the individual players who came to the team and how you are feeling that they are meeting, not meeting, or exceeding the expectations that you had for them and what role you thought they were going to play when they came in. And let's just start off with the big guy. Let's start off with Hassan Whiteside. Now, uh, compared to what your expectations were for him, not what you know, Blazer fans' expectations were, but your expectations, what are you seeing from Hassan Whiteside? He's giving everything he can give. I think he's doing really well based on the Hassan Whiteside curve. This is good Hassan Whiteside. I mean, he's He's making smart plays on the interior on offense. He is rebounding. He's in control of himself. And he is really plugging up the middle. Teams haven't had as easy of time penetrating uh, to all the way to the bucket. They get past the exterior defender. But Whiteside is pretty good at helping and intimidating when he's there. So I, I think everything you could expect him to do, he is doing. That said, he is still Hassan Whiteside, which means he's not mobile. He can't get out to the arc. He sometimes takes a quarter or half a game off, kind of uh, not rolling hard, uh, not moving hard to help uh, when the, the play isn't right in the lane. So you get frustrated with him. Not exactly an equal measure, but there's a lot of frustration there, too. I, I think... His teammates probably feel that way as well. That's like, okay, dude, you are like 11 inches from being fantastic. We just need you to make that extra step. And it's in Whiteside's DNA somewhere that that just doesn't happen, at least not for sustained periods of time. So I, I love it. I love what he's given. I just don't think that that's quite the answer, or at least not the all-round answer that the Blazers need right now. When he was playing alongside Zach Collins, do you think that was, you know, it, it's been hard because he's had a, a collection of guys <laughs> playing alongside him now because Zach Collins is unavailable. So, you know what, when I think about it, it's like, why even talk about Zach Collins? Because by the time Zach Collins comes back, that's probably going to be the end of this era. You talked about that earlier, like we're going to blink and it's going to be over. So that that said, it is illustrative, though. Collins has more mobility, and he was able to cover a little bit of the deficiencies that Whiteside brings simply because Collins can move. And obviously, we only had three games with Collins, so there's impossible to draw conclusions. But he was better than what the Blazers are putting out there right now. I mean, uh, Anthony Tolliver, uh, I don't want to say he's a great defender, but he knows which way is up. Uh, but he also is not real mobile at this point. So he and Whiteside together are just a couple of icebergs out there. Uh, Labissier is good in terms of being eager. He wants, he, he's like a puppy. He wants to make the play. He's all this boundless enthusiasm. I love seeing it, but he doesn't know how to do it yet. And he doesn't always get in the right position. So that's, not great. Uh, Azonja has been uh, uh, 
his defense has been disappointing, and that's one of the things I hope for him. So long story short, there's nobody out there who can cover for uh, Whiteside not being able to cover ground. And that's a big, big problem right now. I um, I have been watching Scal with great interest all season because I think it's really, like you said, it's it's fun to watch him learning. And I don't think he's played very much alongside white side at all because I think Scal has been playing pretty much pure center which is mm-hmm. a challenge for him because he's mostly been a power forward so he's learning the center role as he comes along so my I my sort of idea that I had going into the season knowing that thinking that Zach Collins was going to be playing power forward anyway what about this my my idea is uh what do you think of the idea of Rodney Hood as the four? Because everybody else has played <laughs> alongside Whiteside. When he gets better, do you think that the four is something that he might reasonably be expected to be able to play? Uh, well, not big enough. Love is offense, but the Blazers are just going to get bullied there. Now, there may be some matchups where that works because four is not the position it used to be in terms of size and muscle. But... If you get a guy who's as mobile as Rodney, which, you know, a fair amount of NBA power forwards are or close enough and they're taller and they're heavier and they're more muscular, he's probably going to get butchered out there. Uh, I'd be more inclined perhaps to maybe stick Bazemore there just because of he can move and he'll be really aggressive. Uh, I don't I just don't see Hood defending the position. And, you know, he probably could get some three point shots off of somebody else's power forward trying to defend him. But again, offense hasn't necessarily been the Blazers' problem. And those shots, if they came, would probably be coming from Damian Lillard. Uh, and you want Lillard shooting the ball right now. So, uh, I, you know, uh, kudos for trying. I, I guess they might as well. But I don't see a long and happy future for that uh, lineup. How about one last suggestion in, uh, in uh, Naz Little? Same problem as Skull, that uh, he's not experienced enough. Also, I think there's maybe you you don't want to get him butchered out there real early. Uh, you want to ha- let him build confidence and play where he can. And I'm not sure going up against somebody else's starting power forward is the way to start. But again, what you're bringing up or the suggestions are what options do you have? Mm-hmm. And the answer are the answer is none. I mean. <laughs> Unless Collins heals. I mean, even Gasol. Now, Gasol, I love his game, but he's not going to solve this problem defensively either. So uh, there's just the cupboard's bare. So, yeah, I guess you might as well throw something out there and see what happens. I'm just not sure it's going to be more successful. (laughs) Well, I guess it remains to be seen what sort of magic Stotts can do to pair somebody up effectively alongside. But how do you do... How do you do magic if someone took the rabbit out of your hat already? I mean, you can you can make that hand motion all you want, but it's the trick's not nearly as impressive when the hat's empty. Well, there's doves, there's scarves, there's all kinds of things you can still pull out of a hat. You just have to like, you know, uh, what do you call have it? Have you have you looked at the power <laughs> forward position for them, Tara? I mean, doves, I mean, they've got like a half a cockroach and a dung beetle like Yay! sitting there. Well, I mean, Look, I, I love them. I, I I like rooting for them, but compared to NBA forward lineups, 
The Blazers were already weak before all of this happened. And now that's just it's just not there. Okay, well, let's move on and talk about some of the other players. You brought up Bazemore. Uh, How is he doing, again, compared to what your expectations were coming into the season? It was nice to see him hit those threes versus Atlanta. Well-timed, and hey, you always like to score them against your old team. Um, I, I like his aggressiveness on defense that he showed early. I'm not sure exactly what has happened there. It seems like he hasn't been as demonstrative the last couple games, and there could be a couple reasons. Maybe they're having him rein it back in a little bit so he fits more in the team scheme. Or maybe he's, uh, his foul total, which is enormous, mm-hmm. uh, is catching up with him. I mean, he's, he's averaging uh, a disqualification a game if he played it out, basically. Mm-hmm. Uh, per, actually, a dis- yeah, disqualification per 36 minutes. And uh, that's a large portion of the Blazers' defensive problem. So it's possible that uh, he has to rein it back in a little bit. I find that kind of sad because I liked seeing what he was doing. Uh, I like, you know, he's rebounding. That's fine. His three-point percentage, I think, is good. Um, For the open shots he's getting, I'd hope it'd be a bit better. But, hey, you can't have everything. His two-point percentage is not great. If he's not getting the triple, he's not shooting really well. And I'd say the offense is a little bit of a disappointment for me right now. But, again, adjustment period, getting used to a new scheme. Uh, And I don't think I'm ever sad to see Bazemore out on the floor. I liked him in the starting lineup because and that was my other like mental gymnastics that I was doing because I understand that, you know, Rodney Hood is pretty much expected to start when he's healthy, you know, given that he sacrificed some money to to stay here. And also because, you know, he's been around. He's probably earned that. Right. Wait, 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 wait. He's, he did what now? He sacrificed money to be here. I'm, I I don't think people were beating down Rodney Hood's door. Uh, I think if people were beating down Rodney Hood's door, he would not have signed. And this contract isn't bad, but um, I'll be interested to see if he plays really well, if he doesn't opt out of that next year of salary, which if he doesn't opt out of that and he plays well, I think then we can say that. But uh, I don't I don't think there was 13 million dollars on the table for Rodney Hood anywhere. OK, well, he. The way that he he stuck with the team, he resigned. Yes. Yeah, it was. Look, it was, it was a nice con- the team. To, it seems. Yeah, it was. A, it was a nice contract for him. Mm-hmm. It was a good contract for the Trailblazers. That was a happy marriage. Anyway, given that uh, he, uh, well, okay, not given that he should start. What I'm all working around to is that I liked Bazemore in the starting lineup because I liked his energy from the jump. Kemp Bazemore has energy that sometimes I think this team is lacking, not in that they're not playing hard and all that stuff, but he has a kind of a spark that just kind of is different than the steady calmness that Damian Lillard usually commands on the field. What did you think about Bazemore in the starting lineup? Is that something that you'd be interested in seeing more? I agree 2,000% with your observation. And in some ways, Whiteside brings it too. And I think it's that other culture. Like the Blazers, 
their core guards, obviously, have been together for years. Even before Lillard got here, if you go back to the Brandon Roy LaMarcus Aldridge era, they kind of always brought briefcases to work. They, I mean, they, that's just their style. And they're kind of cool and they're they're friendly and they're good guys and they're skilled and it's everything you want. And you look at those guys and say, if there's a if there's an interview for this roster, uh, you're the people we want. You make a great impression. Fantastic. Love it. Right down the middle. At the same time, where's the crazy? Where's the what you just said, the spark? And I think that Bazemore and Whiteside came from a different culture, uh, different system and came in here and said, hey, you know that there are other possibilities, right? And they brought out a facet of play that instinctively that really gave this team another dimension. Now, they again, they haven't fit in systemically seamlessly, but I am in favor of expanding the culture. I'm in favor of that spark you're talking about. So uh, I'm okay uh, living with Bazemore. Uh, again, if he can get the fouls uh, under control, that would help. But yeah, I'm okay with Bazemore there. I'm also okay with Rodney Hood, by the way, because I think his offense has been, for the most part, beautiful. Uh, I love those two uh, players. And I, I think if you could get them to the right rotation spots, those two would legitimately make the Blazers deep and powerful. The problem is there might not be enough around them or ahead of them still, so they get exploited a little bit, having to overplay or play in too many situations. But 100%, I love those guys being on the floor, and I think if the Blazers could retain either or both, I think there's no doubt they're better off. I mean, it's just, you're right. It's been a long time since they had somebody who has that, that type of energy. Even the players who have moved on, you know, Aminu and Harkless were not the kind of guys that you would actually, you know, say have a spark. And Anthony Simons is developing beautifully, but he has that same demeanor of just quiet, calm, keep it calm. So it's it's just been a different look. And that's kind of been the whole story, I think, of those first 10 games. It To me, it just looks so different from what I'm used to. So could you comment a little bit more? We talked, you touched on it briefly about Hazonia and Tolliver. And are they playing different roles than you thought? Or are they pretty much doing what you thought they were going to do? Hazonia is having to, Hazonia, sorry, is having to play too much. Uh, he's not good. I mean, it's just, there are plays where he looks good, but overall he's not looking effective on defense. His offense is just not reliable. His three point shooting, not reliable. Uh, I guess he's rebounding. I mean, that that's a plus, but again, I think the Blazers can get rebounds from a lot of positions. Uh, I just have been I, it's not fair to say I'm disappointed because I did not expect him to play well. I'm disappointed that he has to play this much. I think he needs more time in the oven or a more limited role. Um, Tolliver, I think, look, he's he's underperforming. I think he will play his way out of it. I, I think he gets to the open spot. His shots, as far as quality of attempt, have been good. He just hasn't hit them. And I'm not sure why that's not happening for him. He is better than that. He's shooting 26% from three. That's just, he's better than that. Uh, his defense is is not there, but I didn't expect it to be there. Uh, so I, I'm not really disappointed in what he's bringing. I'm just disappointed that his shot is not falling. 
I feel like Tolliver is really showing what it means to have a seasoned vet. Not the locker room guy, because I don't think the Blazers need a locker room guy as much as everyone's trying to push the narrative that Pau Gasol is somehow going to change the narrative, the locker room. Well, let me interrupt you. Yeah, I, I, that, that, maybe you can explain that to me, <laughs> how the Blazers can have the best locker room chemistry in the whole NBA, and that's what sets them apart from everybody. But all of a sudden, here comes Pau Gasol, and now the Blazers have the best locker room I yeah you're don't. preaching to the choir on this one i'm just like eh, yeah uh i'm sure it'll be great i'm sure he's a wonderful lovely man and you know his oodles of experience are going to be helpful but it's not his locker room uh but anyway but to go back to tolliver is that he called upon to do something he knows what he's supposed to do like he never looks like he's trying to like figure out what it is he's supposed to to do and it seems to me he seems to be playing within himself except for the fact that he's missing his usual shot which is usually there for him what i see with hazonia and I'm, I'm making a lot of inferences is that he seems like he's trying to do too much and because there are so many other players on the court that need the attention to learn what they're supposed to do hazonia is just kind of like being allowed to just kind of like try to figure it out on his own Whereas like Damien, when he's on with Scal, he is looking at Scal and pointing and telling Scal exactly what to do. Or if he's with Simons, he doesn't need to coach Simons, but he and Simons are, you know, together and practicing what it's like to be on the court together. So like nobody really has the time on the court, I don't think, to be giving Hazonia super deliberate instructions. So he's just kind of looking like he's just doing trying to do too much and you know sometimes when you have a player who has talent but he doesn't know how to like control it just yet you just like limit what he's like like okay Myers no seriously all we need to do is for you just sit there and shoot threes don't do anything else don't do just do that so I feel like if they had a little bit more time and attention and the luxury of being able to uh uh put Hazonia in those situations he would be having more success, but he's just kind of being left on his own to figure it out. And that's just kind of what we get. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's brilliant. Actually, I don't know about the lack of teaching or whether he might be resistant or maybe it's not sinking in or putting into practice. I don't know about that, but you can contrast the two. Tolliver, even though he's missing, absolutely never hesitates when he needs to shoot. He's open. He's going to shoot it. Doesn't care. That's exactly what he's supposed to do. He's not open. He's probably not going to shoot it. Nearly all his decisions are right. Hazonia, opposite. Like when he needs to shoot, he's thinking. Mm -hmm. When he needs to think, he's doing something else. So, uh, yeah, you can see the experience gap. Uh, and, and the two totally different players, of course, but also two totally different stages of their career and two totally different results. Mm -hmm. So we've talked a lot about the new players. Uh, who do you want to talk about next? Well, I mean, Damian Lillard obviously is the shining example. But look at the weird duality of what we have. So CJ McCollum has been in a slump. Uh, and uh, Anthony Simons is great, has been doing great, but is on and off because this is his first court time ever, basically. So. Uh, Lillard has been carrying a huge amount of the load. 
And obviously he is doing well. I mean, he's above 30 points a game at this point, 33 points a game as we speak, which is phenomenal. 50% almost from the floor, 49.3, 39.2 from the three-point arc, and he's taking those from Pittsburgh. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's just, this is an amazing, not since Clyde Drexler, have you seen something like this, his first 10 games. Okay, that's one part of the duality, and it is phenomenal. At the same time, look at the end of that Atlanta game. Lillard has the ball. This is his game. And by the way, he really brought the game to the brink of being winnable. Okay. Who gets the ball? Lillard knows McCollum is hurting. McCollum's in a slump. He gives CJ the shot. He knows that Simons is over there in the corner. He sets up Simons for the potential game winner. And he's doing so much, it feels, to try to look out for his teammates, to spur his fellow guards uh, so that they can produce and they can come along with him. I, this is just absolutely incredible. I mean, it's it's an amazing, amazing thing. So uh, I, I think you have to take hats off to Lillard. This is more than everything you could have dreamed he would be. And if this capes up for 82 games, it will be the most phenomenal season that we have ever seen. The the issue is, of course, if you have to overuse him and he's pay, playing almost 39 minutes a game, which is on the high end of tolerable, uh, and uh, he is also prone almost every other season except last season to some kind of midseason nagging injury or whatever. Last season, it didn't show up till the end of the playoffs, but it was there. And fatigue and, and nagging injuries have been issues for him. How long can the Blazers continue to ride him? Someone else has got to step up. I've noticed in the last several games, I have not looked for the last game against Atlanta, but over the previous three games, that three-guard lineup has been in there longer and longer each game. Now, I'm not thinking that that's a lineup that can be used all the time, obviously, because they're not a large three-guard lineup, but... It seems to be effective. What are your thoughts on Dame, CJ, and Simons in there together? It's effective now because it's new. It's obviously effective because they're talented and the defense can't afford to leave any one of them. But I think you're mostly seeing that lineup because of the injuries, because of the failure of the bigger players. Although, again, I think you and I would both agree that we could stand to see more Hood and Bazemore. But... Hey, if you're not going to win it on defense, that lineup certainly can provide huge offensive threats. So uh, I like it. It's exciting to see. Uh, I don't know that it's going to produce a whole ton of wins. And as with any quote unquote gimmick lineup, once the league catches up to it, it becomes much less effective. So in sparing doses, sure, love it. And in fact, I think some of those sparing doses should be end of game. Mm -hmm, I mean, that's a great been. end of game lineup. Uh, but this is not a lineup, I think, that's going to carry the Blazers to consistent victories over the long haul over 48 minutes. Okay, so you mentioned CJ's slump. How worried are you? I'm not worried about him at all. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm 
Look, if you're worried about C.J. McCollum, you're wringing your hands over nothing. The guy is going to come back. He's gotten open shots. He's just missed them. It, it, this is There's nothing wrong with C.J. that he's not going to shoot his way out of. So we're fine. That said, look, the question is more open now than ever, and it never was closed. Can this pairing work. And by work, I don't mean work like it has before. We all know that they can win 50 games at this point. Great. That question has been answered. We know now that they can get to the second round. They even got to the conference finals. However you want to talk about how they did it, they did it. We know that. They're not a championship threat at this point. And no matter how many players you shuffle around them, that's still not getting closer. So I think you just and and there are reasons for this. The defense still is not there. I don't know if you've watched them, Portland guards, trying to defend screens, but it's as bad now as it's ever been. Oh, my gosh, the opponent sets a pick. And Lillard less often now, but McCollum still just gets stuck. Just It, it falls apart. And it's not necessarily one or the other of them being at fault. It's that both of them together, it's the same vulnerability duplicated. Um, you have, you do have a lack of height. Um, you have some now with Simons coming on, some question about, well, do all those shots belong to McCollum? Do you really need him to score 20 or 22 consistently? If Lillard's going to score 30 and, and Simons can score big and take uh, critical shots, McCollum's role is impinged upon. And is he trying to find his way or carve out his place still? And you also have the personality issue that you brought up that Dame and CJ are good friends. They're very similar. They're compatible in that way. But where's the spark? Where's the whatever? Um, would another player or another lineup bring more of that if you shook it up? And also, what can you trade CJ for that might help you in the forward positions? Uh, when all of those are put together, I think systemically, you still have questions about CJ McCollum. Individually, you don't. I don't know if I want to talk about that more or not, because I feel like we'll just go around in circles like we've been going. Well, I will go around in circles. You have been <laughs> consistent, absolutely, with your, uh, I think, uh, Damon, CJ being very similar and not needing both of them and if anyone's gonna go with cj and if cj can provide value in to for the team to bring in a piece that they are lacking in then that is something that the blazers would go on i well, just there are two go ahead. there are just two reasons there are two pretty clear reasons for that besides the defensive vulnerability uh, one is you know, CJ is great in the mid range. He is one of the best players in the NBA at that. But that's kind of a replaceable skill at this point. I mean, you you want layups or dunks. You want three point shots. And I get it that the mid range shot is still valuable. But if you need people to take that, uh, you know, Rodney Hood still exists. Bazemore still exists, even though he's not hitting him now. Heck, Simons and Lillard can both hit that probably if they need to put it in their portfolio. So he's certainly the most replaceable. Um, he's costing you a lot of money as well. And and but the other thing thing is, look, it's one thing 
if they're out on the court and one's doing well and one's not, and that's consistent, and you go, they don't mix, that's one kind of a need to trade them. There's another thing where you go, that guy's playing out of his mind. The other guy is playing out of his mind. They're both brilliant. They're both doing well. And yet we're still not getting championship results, even with both at their peak. That also would be an argument for maybe needing to move one of them. So we're 10 games in. At what point do you think do you think we are now or at what point do you think we are seeing what we are going to see? Like in terms of consistency, like we've seen right, the, like all of the team. Like how much more development, how much more, you know, getting in concert, you know, how mm -hmm. much better can they get together, this team? Okay. As far as development, that will happen all season. Uh, and that's because you've got some young players playing key roles. Also, uh, you are having shifting lineups with these injuries. I mean, <laughs> with Collins being out, they're always going to be scrambling it forward unless they make a trade. When Nurkic comes back, they're going to have to readjust again. So you're going to have that kind of development all season long. It will not stop until perhaps the playoffs. Hopefully they get it together in March or April. As far as gelling together, you need to give them probably through December. Hopefully in late December, you'll start to see people having really gotten used to each other, being able to anticipate what everybody's going to do, having confidence in each other, not having to rely so much on Lillard to carry the show. And I think you'll get a pretty good look there. But again, some of this is unfamiliarity, some of the, the pitfalls that the team has, but some of it is just in there. I mean, that defense is not likely to get remarkably better just because the players are more familiar with each other because you just lack defenders there. Uh, so, you know, some of this is going to smooth out. Do I think they will get better? Possibly. Do I think they will look great on some nights? Absolutely. Do I think they're going to all of a sudden transform into a team <clears throat> that everybody hoped they would be? Um, I have doubts at this point that any amount of togetherness is going to make that happen, even if they they'll probably go on a streak or two. But over the season, I don't know that this team is ever going to get to that level. So I don't know if you are feeling this while you're watching, but this is something that I've felt the last couple of games and especially in Damian Lillard's 60 point game. I was so disappointed that they couldn't win that game, that Damian Lillard scored 60 points and they couldn't get the win. On the other hand, I really enjoyed watching him play along with the younger guys. I was really conflicted. Do you feel any of that? Yeah, I mean, less conflict. I had, I had conflict about not winning that game too. I, I imagine Lillard himself had conflict about not winning that game. It kind of just, it takes the shine off just a little bit that those 60 points didn't lead to victory. On, in the big picture, I think this team is entertaining. In fact, this team is a lot more fun to watch than last year's team was, even though last year's team had more continuity and probably in the end will produce a better result. I think it's, it's exciting. I think we're seeing young players develop in a way that we have not 
uh, over the last couple seasons. I think you're seeing a style of play that's more exciting, uh, more about forcing turnovers, more about running out. You'll probably see more dunks. You'll probably see more alley-oops once they get going. Oh. So We, we don't, yeah, we don't talk about alley-oops anymore. How long has Do it you been? you call those things alley-oops that they're trying? Oof. <laughs> yeah, well, th- they'll get they'll get more in sync. Look, Hassan this is not Whiteside been... is a dunker, and he's barely dunking. Yeah, I, th- I don't know what's I, going on. I thought we were just gonna like every night was gonna be just like a dunk loop, uh, you know, to the hoop, and that is not what is happening. The barely Blazers can barely even get in the paint. I I think that would have happened more had the injuries not occurred because you would have had fresher feet mm-hmm. and you would have had a little more intensity on defense to create tempo. Okay, so I don't but I don't think that hope is entirely forlorn. I think this is one of the things that can happen when they gel, when they get used to each other and how they can defend and also how they can cut and how they can create more opportunities in the paint with motion that they just can't connect with right now. So that I think that will happen. You know, whether it makes a difference again, uh, this team has been so guard centered right now at the beginning of the season, it's hard to see where those buckets are going to be additive at that. This point, it feels like that's going to be a wonderful pass that Lillard makes and also a wonderful three point shot that he didn't take. Now I, I think that'll add wrinkles, but whether it adds wins, who knows? The Blazers for years have been a team that do not get a lot of assists. And I believe they're currently 30th right now in terms of assists. And I always say you don't want assists just for the sake of getting assists. But is that worrisome to be? I mean, Uh, how I guess I think it is. But I guess how worrisome like how what when do we sound the alarm bells? I'm not worried about it for two reasons. Uh, Number one, again, those Lillard shots are desisted and you love every one of them. Okay. (laughs) The other thing is, I think. Once people, I mean, look at the people who are shooting under 350 from three-point range. Hazonia is. McCollum is. Tolliver is way under. And those are kind of unexpected results. I mean, Mario, sure. But McCollum shooting 308 and Tolliver shooting 259 is problematic, okay? Once they start hitting, those are going to turn into assists. Those that will up the assist level. I think Bazemore too. He scores more off the dribble, but I think in motion he could be more assisted as well. So look, there is potential there for more assists, and I think it's not because they aren't making the right pass. It's just because they aren't hitting the shot after. Not worried at all about that. Uh, I, I also I'm encouraged the Blazers aren't terrible at fast break points and they aren't terrible at forced turnovers, both of which are like easy things to improve, easy extra buckets that don't really take away anything. So I, I'd love that. I think systemically the Blazers have the potential to be better with this style of play. The problem is they just don't have the personnel right now. Yeah. Or the time necessarily, because that. You know, if they're going to make a trade at the trade deadline, they only have between now and then to get it figured out. And then if one of the people who has figured out gets traded and then, you know, we reset again over the summer. Yeah, uh, it's it's yeah, but maybe it'll stick. I mean, I'm going to write about this a little bit, but there are possibilities if they're willing to spend money of making a couple trades for longer term contracts 
and then going all out trying to retain some of these players. Do you re-sign uh, Hood or Bazemore? And you open the bank for them, figuring the bank is already open. Now you're going to, they're already the highest paid team in the league. And that's part of the subtext of this. You don't want to be under 500 and be the best paid team in the league. Okay. That's not what they're making money for. That said, if they're willing to keep up that level of spending, you can create a deep team with a couple strategic trades because the players you would retain, uh, Simons, Hood, Bazemore, now Fill in some of those positions that you created by, say, trading a C.J. McCollum. Now, all of a sudden, you're looking at something legitimate. So the time may be actually extended long term by those trades. But you're right. The, this particular incarnation is not long for the world, uh, no matter which way you go. He's, you started off by doing your Dan invitation by saying trade C.J. McCollum. And now you're here talking about it as Dave, too. Like, how likely do you think it's going to happen? I just, I just don't think it's likely. So I don't even bother talking I do not about th it. <laughs> I don't think it's going to happen this season. Uh, I think the CJ trade would happen in the summer. So uh, you've got Whiteside, who's much more likely to be traded. Obviously, Bazemore is on that list, too. You're expiring contracts. Those are likely. And I think Whiteside might be really likely to be traded because I don't see them re-signing him. So that's the potential for midseason. I would be surprised if CJ was traded midseason. But if if the Blazers don't improve or the Blazers don't advance to the conference finals again, which seems a little unlikely at this point, um, I think you have to take a hard look at each other over the summer and say, OK, it's time to seriously consider this. And what can we bring? And by the way, look, McCollum right now if he's getting pinched by simons from below and he's always going to be second to lillard above what would he look like in miami you know what would he look like places where they in detroit where they legitimately need what he can do and he can be a lead scorer he can be a standard bearer i think that's a live possibility that that ultimately would be a better situation for him as well so i don't view a trade as a failure or an indictment of McCollum or the system. If anything, I'd say the danger is that they hang on too long and end up with the uh, otherwise ripe banana uh, turning a little bit rotten and having to be made into banana bread once it's too late. Which can still be delicious. Yes, but very expensive in this case. <laughs> That's like billion dollar banana bread. <laughs> Well, you've touched on him a couple of times, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on Anthony Simons, because for me, it's been a delight. And like, you know, day one, Dan was pretty much on board with Anthony, and probably the first or second time he saw him, he said, he's got it. And I was like, what is it? And, uh, you know, I kind of teased him about it, because like, you know, he's like, you know, it, you, you know it when you see it, that's why it's it. And uh, now I see it. <laughs> uh, I've loved watching Anthony Simons. He doesn't, like I was saying before, he doesn't appear to need instruction on the court. He seems like he knows exactly what he's supposed to be doing and he's ready to do it. And he does it with all the confidence of a seasoned vet. So I'm curious your thoughts and kind of what you see as uh, the ways that Anthony, who's already playing really well, can get even better for this team. 
Yeah, and it's not just Dan that saw that too. I mean, S Steve DeWald and uh, Brian Freeman, uh, two of our other mm -hmm. analysts, when they went down to Summer League, they came back saying, this guy's got it too. And hey, give Neil Olshay credit. Neil Olshay knows how to do guards. I mean, he knows he knows how to draft guys at those those positions. So, I mean, A plus, great job there picking him up. Love it. Um, Simon's greatest assets right now, quickness and confidence. Uh, I think that really he's his quick twitch, his ability to get to a spot or perceive where the ball is going or where the open spot is is just amazing. And he's looking like more of a veteran than he is because he's quick. Uh, so, and you can't teach that. Uh, you've either got it or not, and I think that's a big part of it. And obviously, as you pointed out, his confidence to take the shot or to try to make the play is fantastic as well. Uh, he needs to improve in a lot of areas. Uh, he's not real solid in his positioning. Um, he's not real solid in his decision making. Uh, sometimes that same confidence can lead him to overplay. Uh, but what do you ex what do you expect? I mean, this is going to happen. And obviously, you cannot keep him off the floor. You need to let him develop, and he's going to mature and be able to do those things. Uh, he just needs the experience to do them. So no complaints about Simon's. Just as excited as you are. Um, and I think athletically, again, you have to go back to, oh my gosh, Batum had something of this, but it was... It was always smoother and more subtle. So Simons is much sharper than uh, Nicola was. Uh, Clyde Drexler, when he was young, looked something like this, although obviously completely different because Clyde was huge, tall, athlete, strong, you know, different kind of it. But that kind of quickness and dominance potential was there. Uh, and, and I'm trying to think, because the Blazers didn't have a lot of really young guys. I mean, Robert Pack, I think Simons looks better physically than he did. Uh, he looks I'm like trying Damian to Lillard to me. Yes, I mean, Brandon Roy had something of the mental confidence, but again, Roy was smoother, and Roy had kind of a multi-directionality. That was his thing. Roy was versatile. Roy could go any direction. Simons is usually going like one direction, but it's a really a good direction. <laughs> yeah, it's a really good direction because he's fast and he's there. So there's maybe this is a good thing that we can't think of someone exactly to compare him to because he is Anthony Simons and that's looking pretty good right now. Yeah, um, he's he's a delight. You know, the again watching different basketball this year has been fun. You know, I Everybody, you know, checked on me when uh, Chief left, you know, like I wasn't going to be able to handle it, which I did because I knew that was likely what was going to happen. But I so I was prepared for a world without, you know, Alfa Camino and uh, Mo Harkless. But I was not expecting like the basketball was going to look so different just because, you know, they have different personnel and they do different things. And I remember earlier the season during the Sacramento game, just watching the first half of it going, I don't even know what this is because these guys are playing such a, such a different game. Um, 
so just to wrap up what we're talking about, are there any other players or sort of team developments that we haven't talked about that you think are important for Blazer fans to keep their eye on? Well, I mean, rebounding is part of it um, that goes on and off. I mean, they're, they are overall a really good rebounding team. And yet you notice in critical moments when the defense breaks down or when they have to help uh, and therefore they need a secondary or tertiary play, often what is missing is the rebounding. And opponents are starting to grab uh, a few offensive rebounds at critical moments. I don't like that development. And I think it's actually endemic of what I just said. Part of the problem with the Blazers' defense, other than just being able to cover space, is that they're pretty good at figuring out how to make the first rotation or the first help, right? Mm -hmm. After that, it looks like they don't have a clue. Like, oops, that didn't do it? Well, what else do we do? (laughs) And I think part of that you might be subtly seeing, in addition to the personnel transfer, you might be seeing new assistant coaches like coming in. Cause this, this is probably part of the stuff where uh, coach Stotts had a lot of backup with veteran talented uh, assistant coaches. And all of a sudden you make a transfer and you've got new guys in there and maybe there's a little bit of a hold there where the teaching isn't as instinctive, where uh, the, the play isn't as obvious. So, I mean, I think that uh, is an issue. Um, I'm not in love with the Blazers two-point offense, and I think they're not giving Lillard enough. I mean, they're really forcing Lillard to be amazing, to even have a chance to win. And we talked about Tolliver. We talked about McCollum missing open threes. That's part of it. But you know what? There needs to be some more decisiveness and more skill when you're inside as well. You're not going to get post play out of Hassan Whiteside. You already know that. So if you're a dribbler who can make moves you need to get to a spot and get a good shot. I think Rodney Hood has been able to do that, but that's been largely missing from most of his teammates. And I think the Blazers are suffering because of it. Um, you know, other than that, and the, the the foul thing, we need to underline again, it's probably a problem. If you, if you can't defend without fouling, you're giving away some of that percentage defense in terms of points given up on the foul line. So you've got to curtail that somehow. You've got to have some wisdom about when to reach and when to move, how to help, and uh, when to just let a play go. And the Blazers just aren't there yet. They're discombobulated, and it's a little bit worrisome to see because that's the other thing you got to remember. This is no longer the young team. They've got some young players, but this is this team is – the bell curve's around 30 now. It's not 25 anymore. You would think players with veteran experience would be able to coordinate a little better on defense, and it just doesn't seem to be happening right now. Well, the Blazers are getting ready for an even harder part of the schedule. <laughs> it's, uh. it's been a it's been a uh, it's been a tough start, you know, for a variety of reasons. Some of the you know, yeah, for a variety of reasons, it's been to a tough start, but they're getting ready to go on a six game road trip after a there and back back to back. Do you, 
I mean, it seems to me like the front part of their schedule is really, really hard and things are going to get easier. And so as they start to gel, the schedule should also lighten up as well. And I guess what I'm getting at is like, where would you like to see the Blazers around the first of the year? Do you think keeping it you know, close to 500 is reasonable for them or that's not enough expectations for a team that is the highest, highest payroll in the league. Kind of like, where would you like to see them like in January? Yeah. Every season we do this, right? Because there's so much hype from the front office and everybody in July and when training camp starts and the puff pieces about how expectations are high and all this stuff. Right. And you have the theoretical blazers, And then somewhere between October and January, everything settles into reality blazers, and the two are not often the same. And so it's hard to say. I mean, we don't know what reality blazers is yet. We do know that compared to theoretical blazers, this is bad, okay? (laughs) And I I don't see them correcting that before January, okay? Uh, But Some of it is through no fault of their own with, the like loss of Zach Collins, I think that was a significant loss. Oh, of course it is. But they look theoretical blazers weren't showing up even when Zach Collins was there. There were holes there. That said, they don't have to measure up to theoretical blazers. We can erase, erase, erase that from our memory. Here's what we do. Uh, What's the rest of the West doing? Because I think that's an open question because the West is going to be tough uh, all year. Are you in somewhere in the thick of it? Are you higher than eight would be a nice goal? You know, are you you seven? Are you six? Are you within shouting distance? Is it close? Then you're probably good. Okay. Um, Also, where's your trend going? Are you winning two and losing two and winning two and losing two? Uh, That's different than if you go through a slump and then you put something together and it looks like you've made improvement. So how did you get there is another question. Um, I don't think there's any way they're up in one, two or three. I don't think there's any way they're at the bottom. God help us. Uh, so they're going to be in the middle somewhere. Does that middle look like a nice neighborhood or are you down at Baltic Avenue and Mediterranean? You have to scratch your head. Here's the other thing though, as well, the Blazers might be a little bit home road agnostic simply because I know I just said their bell curve is in the thirties. Overall, but the players they're having to play now are younger. Mm -hmm. So, and younger players tend to not care as much, okay? They haven't learned home court advantage yet. They're just going to go out and have a good game or a bad game. So the road doesn't bother me as much. And also Damian Lillard is the other reason they're winning, and he doesn't care. So, um, but look, you've got... You got games like the Kings you know, that you and the Cavaliers that you should win. Let's forget that Golden State Warriors loss because that's the one that sticks out. So you've got a couple winning, uh, you know, winnable games as November closes out. But you got the Toronto Raptors, you got the Houston Rockets, you got the Bucks, um, the Bulls. You should win. So I mean, you've got some losable games too. The Blazers should win more than they lose the rest of this month, which should get them above five hundred. December, you got Clippers, you got Lakers, you got Nuggets, you got uh, Timberwolves, which is no cakewalk. You've got Jazz, Lakers again. Um, you got Heat, you got Raptors again, you got Timberwolves, you got Bucks. Now, obviously, there are other games in there, but I'm not sure if you could look with a, with a straight face and say the Blazers 
absolutely will or should win any of the games I just named in December. And that was a lot of games. Mm -hmm. So, or actually that's early January as well. But so look, this isn't going to get easier by scheduling. They've got to pull it together. They've got to win, beat the teams they should beat, and then surprise themselves by winning probably a couple on the road against teams you thought they would lose to. Usually this is where I say from your mouth to God's ears, and I'm not sure that I think we want him to do even better than that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you would hope. Yeah, it's 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 tough, though. I mean, like that's like we said, that schedule is not easy. Well, let's wrap, go ahead and wrap it up here. Dave, it's been great talking to you, hearing your reactions to how the season is getting started. Hope to check in with you later on and find out if they have kept their heads up above water and have put together any streaks. I certainly hope they do. Would you like to tell people how they can find you and follow your work? Yeah, it's at D Morang. No, no, wait. <laughs> Actually, I did my Dan impression. I talked long on almost every answer. So Good job. I tried to support you. I felt, um, I felt comfortable like I was just in my regular place. <laughs> it's all for you, Tara. Mm. All of our man's all of our mansplaining is just for you. Oh. All right. So yeah, sorry about that. Uh, that's what that's <laughs> folks listen to the what podcast that comes out on Thursdays, <laughs> where there's relatively little mansplaining, actually. So uh at Dave Deckard on Twitter, uh blazersub at gmail.com if you want to submit a mailbag question or otherwise talk to me. Of course, Blazer's Edge is where you find all of us. And uh we look forward to hearing you always love chatting with people. All right. Thanks again for joining me tonight, Dave. You can find me on Twitter at TCB Biggs. You can also follow the Hoops and Talks podcast at Hoops and Talks. And of course, you can subscribe to the Blazers Edge podcast in whatever podcast catcher you use to make sure that you get all of the latest Blazers, ep Blazers Edge episodes and the What Podcast episodes as soon as they drop. Thanks so much for joining us. Talk to you later.